seated and please take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 47. I feel pretty confident in saying that Daniel Sluka has a future in entertainment. He enjoyed every moment of that, and so did we. This, of course, is the third Sunday of Advent. It is, this morning we'll be looking at joy. It is the lighting, of course, of the, the pink candle, and we're going to be looking at Two passages today found in Psalm 47 and in Hebrews chapter 12. In Psalm 47, we'll look and read from just the first two verses. The Bible says this to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared a great king over all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we pray that you'll help us in this room to see the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and then teach us to live for your glory alone. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Advent, <clears throat> as you have found over the past three weeks, means a coming or an arrival. In this case, Advent certainly, as we're reflecting through this season, reflects the coming of Jesus, and we are awaiting the second advent where Jesus will come again. The candles of advent, and over the last three weeks, we have looked at hope and peace this morning, joy. Um, we come to find in each of these settings, as we will this morning, is that Jesus, of course, is our hope. Scripture calls Jesus the blessed hope. He is the hope of eternal life. Jesus is peace. Jesus is the only one that can bring peace to the soul. And as we'll see this morning, Jesus truly is joy because no matter what your circumstance in, in life is, you can have joy because, of course, of, of Jesus. And it is a joy that resonates deep within a person's soul. This would only make sense for our church to celebrate Advent. We specifically designed our name, Christ Community Church, to bring a, a gospel softball of evangelism. Here at Christ Community Church, we preach Christ 
every Sunday. We preach about Christ's life, death, and resurrection, no matter what the text is. Though we will examine the text within its context, all those contexts ultimately point us to the, the person of Jesus Christ. We are Christ Community Church because we want to preach Christ to all of our community. We want everyone within our community to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we are a church because God designated that we would order ourselves in small bodies to become local churches. Thus, we get our name, Christ Community Church. Mike read from this morning as he shared the Heidelberg Catechism. And in that question, the answer comes the only way a person can die in joy are for those that know Jesus. And that is certainly our heart. It's our heart this morning, if you do not know Jesus, that you will come to know Jesus. Jesus, of course, as he said of himself, he was the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one could come to the Father apart from his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what one believes about Jesus is essential. It's, it's most important because Christ himself is the only way. When someone is coming into faith, they have the knowledge that God is holy and they've come to grips with the fact that, that they are sinful. We as a church recognize that we are sinners. And we are sinners in need of God's grace. We gain that knowledge from the Word of God. And then from the Word of God and the truth of the gospel, we assent to those things to be true. And yet one can have the knowledge of the Word of God one can even think of them to be true and fall short. It's till you personally apply Jesus by trusting in him alone for the forgiveness of your sin, it's in that moment that someone becomes a child of God. And so through this service and whatever you're considering this morning, we would want you to know that Jesus is worth everything that you perhaps are afraid of losing. Jesus is more precious than gold or, sil or silver. Jesus alone is the only way that we can die in joy and in the comfort of God. Now we're going to look at this in two different ways this morning. From our text here in, in Psalm chapter 47... And then, like I said uh, earlier, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. And, and so we're going to look at this in, in two points, two points that I'll just give them to you up front. We're going to look at joy through circumstances. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at joy in confession. Joy through circumstances and then joy through confession. If you were in our Bible class this morning on biblical theology, um, we were looking through the exegesis of a passage. 
that ultimately when we look at the grander story that Jesus is the grander story and the story of redemption, one first has to note what was taking place within the context. And, and that's what we kind of want to do a little bit right now in Psalm 47. In Psalm 47, we know that we have come to the final covenant of the, of the Old Testament, the covenant that God makes with David. Last week we saw as a part of that covenant that God made with David is that the Messiah King will come and he will rule forever. Each, of course, covenant adds on from a previous covenant. And when you look down to verse 9 in Psalm chapter 47, we note here that the covenant that God made with Abraham is applied. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of, of the God of Abraham. The gospel was not just for the nation Israel. It was also for the peoples of the globe. God told Abraham that in your seed, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And so we see that the nations are blessed and that there's an eternal kingdom uh, that will come. And God's people are singing this song in Psalm chapter 47. That's what the Psalms are. They are, they are songs. And this Psalm is a Psalm of the enthronement of, of a king that the Messiah will be enthroned and is enthroned as king over the world, and he is the one, of course, that will come. They were typically saying when God would give Israel a, a, a victory in war. So as you could picture this, there would be this great battle, whatever it might be, God would deliver God's people and give them a, a military victory, and as a part of that celebration, the sons of Korah would take the Ark of the Covenant, and as they would ascent and go in to Jerusalem, they would sing, and they would sing, in this case, Psalm chapter 47, which is one of many um, psalms that are tailored to um, the enthronement of a Messiah. So they would sp uh, speak truth, but not only would they speak truth, they would sing truth, just as, as we do here every Sunday um, as God's people. The sons of Korah would carry the ark. The ark of the covenant was raised and really represented that God, of course, was holy and that the holy sovereign king Messiah rules from heaven above and they would gladly sing and await his one day coming. Notice this with me in verse 1 that the Bible tells us that God's people were to shout to God, they were to clap their hands, and that they were to sing loud songs of joy. So this was, this was not a solemn moment. God had delivered them in a victory, and they were to sing by the clapping of their hands and loud songs of joy. The, the picture as they ascended to 
the hill of Jerusalem was one of boisterous praise. It was, it was praise to God and it had great energy. Now, we know, of course, that the worship of God will move us. It moves us because we're created in the image of God. That is, we have emotion. Though emotions shouldn't drive our theology, certainly good theology will drive our emotions. And this is what God's people did as God gave them a great military victory. John Calvin says this of Psalm chapter 47. He said, The Holy Spirit has exhorted the faithful to continue to clap your hands for joy until the advent of the promised Redeemer. This, of course, is what we mimic and worship in each and every Sunday. We have a series of songs that emotionally stir our hearts according to the truth of the lyrics. And of course we sing, and we're to sing loud songs of joy. Why? Because this is an act of worship on our part, because our Messiah King has won you and I a great victory. It only seems normal, doesn't it, that one would sing and and that it would be a joyous occasion for a military victory. It's interesting here that the sons of Korah are mentioned in the superscription. Look at, look at verse, uh, it's really verse 1, or would be. There are no verses in the Bible, of course, in the original language. But when you're looking at Psalm 47, and it says to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah, um, that superscription is inspired of God. And so as we begin to look at the sons of Korah, um, first of all, I think, want to note that, that Korah means baldness. <laughs> yep, means baldness, Korah. Had to get that out of the way. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, though, you know of Korah back to Numbers chapter 16. And what happened in, in Korah's case is that Korah led a great rebellion against God as it was directed to Moses. So the rebellion was directed to Moses, who was the leader and the prophet that God used. And Korah leads this rebellion. And of course, as he leads this rebellion to God, God tells Moses, hey, stand back. You, you bring Korah here, but then you make sure you stand back. As you'll recall that historical text, God then opens the earth with an earthquake and it consumes Korah and 250 people. Well, this text in Psalm chapter 47, is, is hundreds of years later, and yet the Bible tells us that this is the sons of Korah. The, sons, the three sons of Korah are, are mentioned previously, um, but as a part of the sons of Korah, undoubtedly what this is representing is, is his grandsons, or perhaps even the great-grandsons, meaning this was of the lineage of Korah. 
God left the name Korah in his eternal writ. It's fascinating. And it was the sons of Korah that were to organize and, and lead this sound of joy and loud songs as, of course, they praise the Messiah King. God gives us joy through circumstances, even when life is hard. Now, as we came in here this morning and we sang as you participated in the songs, you know, perhaps you're in a season where, where things are really going good and all of your expression to our God that has saved you were, were filled with a type of happiness and joy. And yet, maybe some of you came in here and, and, and you're heartbroken. You know the Lord Jesus, but you are caught in a life circumstance that perhaps you've not even shared with anybody, or perhaps others know you're in a very difficult season. And I think to some degree or another, this would represent the sons of Korah. Undoubtedly, they knew the story of their grandfather or great-grandfather. Perhaps for them, it caused them to some degree to despair. He was a part of their family heritage. Perhaps at times it caused them to, to have a source of frustration, not quite understanding what had took place. Or maybe they were just confused. That perhaps could be their season in life. Yet the scripture tells us that God gives them the instruction as they are to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and so they did as a part of the people of God who were to rejoice in the Messiah King beyond their circumstance, no matter what it was. Just as you and I come this morning to worship Jesus, and in the week-to-week -week way, month-to-month -month way, our life circumstance changes, but the song doesn't change. We can experience joy in the worst of moments. The very worst moment in my life, I have experienced joy. And it was a joy that God provided me in the death of my parents. I wouldn't trade it for anything, and yet I was devastated. God gives joy no matter what our circumstances are for the sake of those who have believed the gospel. Life is hard. Life is hard for every family. All of us will endure several different types of struggles throughout all of our lives. And what we must do to access that joy is to preach the gospel to ourselves. And that's one of the things that pull me through whatever struggle I might go through, even if it's a season. Chuck Swindoll, some of you may know him, said this, 10% of life are things that happen to you, and 
of life is your attitude towards those things. The fruit of the Spirit is, is literally attitudes, right? Love, joy, peace. No matter what the season of life is, we need to lean into and lean upon the Holy Spirit so that we can have a genuine joy. One of the things that I found fascinating about Psalm 47 in that superscription is that the name Korah remains. And yet Korah by name, right, was a rebellious guy. The sons of Korah obviously were redeemed by this Messiah King. You think of this in other areas in the scripture. Rahab in the genealogies in the New Testament is known as Rahab the harlot. Now Rahab didn't remain a harlot, yet she was converted out of being a harlot. That's not the only one. I'll give you another example. There is Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector would be seen like like Judas, right? A betrayer of his own people, collecting taxes for the hated Roman Empire. The point for you and I, and we should glory in this, is that God saves rebels. He saves rebels. God saves Korah's family, though he himself had rebelled against God. God saved Rahab. God saved Matthew, the tax collector. And how about this one? God saved Paul. What a picture of grace that our sovereign king does not reign from from heaven above. God saved Paul who is a champion pitcher of God's grace. You see, see, Paul didn't get converted because he made a decision. Think about Paul's life. Dude was killing Christians for a living out of zeal for God. He gets stopped in his tracks. And the God of heaven redeemed Saul. The great murderer of the church becomes the great missionary of the church. Why? God saves rebels. He saves rebels because he saved me. He saves rebels because he he saves you. The sons of Korah were instructed to sing loud. And to sing loud songs of joy. And to do so by the clapping of their hands. Because they had joy. They had humility. There was an awe to the God of heaven. And they took delight in him. That's what joy is. It's to take delight. Why? Because God saves rebels. Once again, I I draw your attention to verse 9. In this poetic language, it's written, the princes of the peoples 
Okay, it's talking about the leaders of other nations. They gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Why? Because those who place their faith in Jesus are God's true Israel. Those are the ones that actually belong to God. In this case, along with Rahab and Matthew and Paul, we, along with them, bring nothing to God but our sin. Our human response is to accept and acknowledge what we are and by faith trust and receive Jesus Christ as the Savior alone. God gives us joy through circumstances. Why? Because the verse 9 reveals to us because God has made you and I a part of something greater. Greater than even our own selves. Why? Because I belong to Jesus. Your greatest identity as a Christian should be I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. That's the accomplishment. It's an accomplishment not made by you, but by someone else through the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We can have joy through circumstances. This is the testimony of Scripture. This is your testimony. Secondly, we can have joy in confession. Look with me at verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I have joy in confession. The joy in confession is a part of the truth of the perseverance of the saints. Okay? Part of the application of knowing Jesus is that all believers will die in faith. That's why they live in the joy and the comfort in their death. They're not trusting of their own circumstance. They are trusting in what Jesus did and who Jesus did. This truth which is centered in our hearts through Christ himself dwelling there in the Holy Spirit, saints persevere. But it's really like this, as R.C. Sproul would say. It is God persevering in the saints. God perseveres in the saints lifelong so that all those who genuinely know Jesus do Die in faith. 
Now, here's what I want you to know about perseverance. I'm not talking about drudgery. People think of perseverance of the saints, and, and they think of, of a person living in misery or, or a person just getting by or a person perhaps that is even bitter, lives in bitterness. Even in Hebrews, the Bible described Esau as a person who is bitter. Bitterness is reflected in those who, who don't know Jesus. But God, persevering in the saint, gives the child of God joy. And joy comes in the confession. It is Christ who is working out His joy in you that is supplied though you struggle. And again, in a room this size, some of you, even as believers, may be going through a period of life where you are genuinely struggling. I want to help you out with this. Look at this in verse 2. The writer gives us a, um, a daunting comparison or example. He gives us Jesus, but I want you to contemplate this. Okay, He says to lay aside every weight in verse 1. Weight could be something good. Something good could impede your worship of God as a child of God. It could be a good thing. It's, it could be an all-moral thing. But it could impede it. But it's not just to lay aside every weight, but the sin which clings so closely. Because we all have certain sins... And many of us will struggle with some sins that perhaps some other child of God doesn't have as much. The point is we're all caught in the struggle. We are to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because when he was suffering and struggling, and of course we know he did this without sin, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. Jesus for the joy that was set before him faced great difficulty. Jesus lived 30 years of life as the perfect Holy One of God and endured humanity the contradiction of his own life, of those people as sinners. Christ, of course, faced the difficulty of suffering on the cross. How did Jesus do this? The text tells us. The text tells us that Jesus did so in a real tension and yet possessed joy. And that joy is regarded in two ways. Jesus endured the suffering that he endured because he thought of the joy that he possessed with his Father and the Holy Spirit to carry out the plan of redemption. That fueled him through his physical, real struggle. Jesus died a literal death. Jesus suffered 
pain on the cross. Jesus suffered emotional distress when he cries out to, to the Father in the garden, if you will, let this cup pass for me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Why? Because Jesus had joy with his Father. Because Jesus in, had joy with the Spirit, and he was, he was carrying out the plan of redemption that the Father and the Spirit participated in. Now that's certainly beautiful, and that's certainly true, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit delighted one another, and in joy they did so to carry out redemption's plan. But friends, that's not all Christ's joy. Look with me again at verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Well, what is he talking about? Well, secondly, I think he's talking about the reward. And the reward for Christ was those who would believe upon his sacrifice. Isaiah 53 puts it this way, that, that Jesus in his suffering, in those moments on the cross, thought of what his redemption was accomplishing. And Jesus endured the difficulty of the cross in part because you and I are his reward, not because we're special, we're rebels. Not because we're holy, we're sinners. But we have been made righteous by the Holy One of God through His suffering life, death, and resurrection. Jesus, of course, did these things for our example as joy. And this is what the writer of Hebrews does. He says, he says therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He's, he's not talking about, at least I don't think, believers looking down from heaven. He's talking about, because how heavenly would that be? To see people struggle in sin. He's talking about the previous chapter. He's saying, look back to all the people who endured hardship, who endured difficulty, and did so, and then ultimately looked at Jesus for joy, and, and in so doing, that teaches us and aids us and helps us as Christians to fight with our sin. Charles Spurgeon said this, peace is joy resting, and joy is peace dancing. Now here's what I want to ask you this morning if you're a Christian. Do you have joy? Does this joy that the Bible speaks of, does it resonate deep within your soul? Or are you a person living frustrated? Are you living with anger? Are you living in bitterness? You know, bitterness, I don't believe, characterizes a genuine believer, but bitterness we can all fall into for a season. Habitual sin, please listen to this. 
Habitual sin will steal your joy. You say, well, what do you mean by habitual? Well, the scripture says to lay aside every weight. We are all struggling in, right, the tension of sin. There is, there is a sinful battle that is real, that's a part of our sanctification, that is a part of our life that we'll have to deal with our whole life in the sense that we have to battle against sin. But giving ourselves habitually to a sin will steal your joy. Satan or Lucifer, who is called by definition the accuser of the brethren, hurls guilt at the child of God to beat them down. And yet, many times in our own lives, it is our own habitual sin that will steal our joy. It will bring us guilt. It will give us shame and sorrow and sometimes even pain. Perhaps even physical pain. When we lead lives, giving ourselves as Christians to habitual sin, we only live a miserable existence. And here's what I want you to ask yourself as you consider your own sin that you have in your, in your life. Are you letting your sin go unchallenged? Is your own sin going unquestioned by you? Because you're living in secrecy. Does your own sin bring you no remorse? Does it bring you no conviction? Church, please listen to that. That's indicative. If your sin goes unchallenged, unquestioned, leads to no remorse and no conviction, there's no salvation. There's no salvation. You may know the knowledge of the gospel. You may assent that those things are true, what the Bible says, but you are not trusting in Christ. Because those who are born of God, because they become alive in Christ and alive to God, God will not permit you to live lifelong, unadulterated, with sin going unquestioned, unchallenged, no remorse, and no conviction. You see, God's children are those who confess. God's children are those who repent. We all need to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day to acknowledge our own sinfulness so that in, in awe of God, we could delight in the joy for the salvation that God has brought me. Are you living in sin? Acknowledge your sin. Repent. Confess. Preach the gospel to yourself. Because no form of secularism can quench the thirst and the hunger of your soul. Nothing. Drink the living water. 
who is Christ. Eat the bread of his sacrificed body. Drink the wine of his shed blood. And you will never be thirsty or hungry again. Let's pray. Our Father, now as we transition for your people, the church in this table that you have designed, we know, Lord Jesus, that you provided this table because of, because of joy. You set before yourself in joy, which helped you as you leaned upon your Father in the Spirit, as you suffered physically, as you died, giving yourself a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin. We give you thanks, Jesus, this morning as the corporate body of Christ Community Church. We pray, Lord, for any that's here that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they will repent of their sin and trust in Christ, life, death, and resurrection alone to save them. And yet, Lord, we're asking this morning that you'll deal with every church member of Christ Community Church, that they will honestly examine their heart at this table, and they will honestly ask themselves, do I have joy? And what is that joy resting in? No matter their circumstance, whether it's struggling or whether they're doing well, Lord, may they see their existence as only delighting in joy when they rest upon the gospel and what you've done for them. Lord, draw them to you that they would confess the sin that they're embracing, that they think they're compartmentalizing and hiding. Lord, your all-seeing eye sees them. Might they find the freedom that only you can bring in joy when they repent of their sin and they confess it to you. Refresh their hearts this morning as they preach the gospel to themselves. We pray for these things and we ask for them in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you may rise and go receive the elements. <laughs>